Welcome to my podcast, Today's Dream, Tomorrow's Reality. My name is Vicki Poole. I'm a master transformational coach and a hypnotist specializing in habit change. This podcast is sponsored by The Enlightened Beach. And this podcast is all about embracing our mosaic life. And some of you may ask, what is a mosaic life? It is recognizing that all the pieces of our life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, have all come together to make us who we are. Change any one thing and we are different. With that in mind, I invite you to embrace your perceived imperfections and celebrate who you are. This podcast is unedited and raw, just like life. And I am your host. And today I have a special guest with me that I will introduce in just a moment. But I would love for you to leave a comment on whatever platform you're on and remember to like, subscribe, and share. So now let's get started. All right, so before we start, I'm gonna make sure I did hit the record button. It looks like I did. All right, good. So this lovely lady right here, I will say that I don't really know her well at all. I um, have said before that I love getting into different groups. And when I see somebody that has a powerful message, um, a, a powerful post, and it touches at my heart or whatever, then I'll reach out. And so um, I reached out to her and um, and I will admit that I just uh, told Amy that uh, I don't remember exactly what her post was and that's okay, but I will be taking better notes from here on out as to what the <laughs> post is. But we uh, met in our, I saw her post in the Create Your Best Year group. And um, so her name is Amy Willis. And I'm so happy to have you here. And I know this is a little bit different from what you normally do, but um, <laughs> we're just going to embrace it and go with it. So I know just a touch about your story, but I would love for you to maybe share with the, the listeners, the watchers that um, how you kind of um, developed into the person that you are today. Mm -hmm. So this, yes, this is a very uh, different <laughs> podcast style than I'm accustomed to. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's all very, it's all very interesting, but let's just go with it and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my name is Amy C. Willis. I am the holistic sober coach. I work professionally and have been working professionally in the addiction recovery space for the last almost five years. Um, I predominantly work with women and folks within the LGBTQ plus community in entering and sustaining sobriety. I am a woman, I'm a queer woman, and I also struggled with alcohol addiction for more than 15 years of my life. I grew up in a home where one of my parents, my dad also struggled with alcohol addiction. So it was around and it was in the environment growing up. And um, ultimately it was my dad's early passing related to his alcohol addiction that really served as the catalyst to me looking at my relationship with alcohol with a so more how, how old curious, um, I, I don't remember how old I was, um, maybe 30. Um, but my dad passed away in 2014 okay. and, um, I ended up getting sober in 2016. So I've been sober for more than seven years now. 
Okay. Well, congratulations for that, because that's a, that's a huge momentous thing. Um, so you said only one of your parents were involved with alcohol or yeah. Yeah. So I'm imagining, um, just in my mind that under that context, you know, one parent's sober and one's not that, that probably created a lot of angst in the family. Did you have siblings? I do have a sibling and my mother wasn't sober. She just didn't struggle with alcohol. Okay. All right. So they, they drank together. She just didn't have all the issues that came from it. She drank occasionally. It wasn't really a a bonding thing in their relationship. Um, I, you know, I can think of a handful of times in my whole life that I've seen my mother consume alcohol, but um, yeah, so she wasn't really a drinker. She just wasn't sober. Okay. So when you were young, you were having effects or having difficulties with your father with drinking. Does that sound about right? Um, his drinking definitely impact his beha- impacted his behavior yeah. and how he showed up in our family and in our relationship and in his relationship with other people. Yeah. Well, I know um, for myself, I... Um, I used to know someone who was an alcoholic and when he was drinking, he was very flamboyant and he was very, you know, fun to be around and everything. But then he had been an alcoholic for so long that when he wasn't drinking, he was paranoid. He would get aggravated and agitated. And I remember um, some people that had known him forever before he really became an alcoholic. They would tell me, I wish you could have met him before he had this addiction, because he was an Mm -hmm. amazing human. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would imagine that there was something like that with your dad, too, that the um, when he was drunk, you knew when to or you knew exactly when you could be yourself and when you had to hold back because of what state he might be in. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we definitely learned how to adapt Mm -hmm. based on what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are pretty resilient with that. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, as you were getting older and you saw all this going on with him, was what was it that brought you to take your first drink? Do you remember that? Um, My I mean, I had been given alcohol when I was younger, but that's not really when I started drinking. I started drinking when I was about 16 and it for, you know, like very much like my peers and my friends at the time, it was experimental. It was social. It was something that we were all kind of getting into. Um, But I think there was some turmoil happening in my home, Mm -hmm. um, in my household, which was stressful and I couldn't get away from it and I didn't know how to deal with it. And so while I initially started drinking for social reasons and experimental reasons, it quickly became something that, um, was relief and was, um, a way to kind of create or press pause, I guess, on everything that was happening at home. Yeah. And you know, that's what they teach on TV, right? Because um, I'm sure you're aware of it. It's like, I notice this all the time that any show that I'm watching, there's all these different angst things that are happening. The first thing they do is they sit down and they have a drink to decompress, 
to mm-hmm. have a conversation. And so it's really um, just become like in our face over the years of this is how you deal with things. And yeah. so, and it takes a, um, I would say a really strong person that's going through all of this stuff and they they recognize that they're doing these things, but most of the time it's something that you can't stop until something happens to kind of put the brakes on or make you think more. So when you got to the place where you were recognizing that this was really not the path that you wanted to go down, was it because of your father's death or was there something that happened that put that in your mind more of, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, well, as I said earlier, I would say that his passing was definitely the catalyst um, because, you know, his drinking, he drank heavily and he drank for many, many years. And I was on that path with him basically. Um, and I had, you know, laid out in front of me what my future held if I kept going down that road. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't immediately start to look at my drinking. I mean, immediately after his passing, of course, I was grieving and my addiction actually got a lot worse. I was drinking a lot more. And probably about a year or so after his passing and the acute grief had kind of finished, um, I was just getting to a place and, you know, I don't, I don't remember a day or a time or a moment specifically when this occurred, but I just, I found myself asking like, is this it? Is this all there is for me and for my life being in this cycle of thinking about drinking, planning the next time I'm going to drink, drinking, drinking heavily, blacking out, being hungover, rinse and repeat. And I just, there was something in me that said that like, I'm here for more than this. Mm -hmm. I have something in me that is bigger than this. And I'm supposed to be doing something that's not this because this is going to kill me eventually. And I didn't want to die. And so that was really the starting of me looking at how this thing existed in my life and, and, I, I wasn't even to a place where I was thinking about sobriety, but I was like, this is not working. So what are the options? So what were the options? Well, um, I started to explore periods where I was at the very least a little bit more intentional and a little bit more mindful. Like previously, I just drank and drank and drank. I didn't put limits on it. I didn't have any kind of like, I don't do it here. I don't do it here. I only have two drinks. Like none of that existed. So I did start to implement small periods where I wasn't drinking. Um, and I just started to explore what it could look like to do things differently with alcohol. Ah, that sounds perfect. So anybody that's listening, I mean, that's definitely an an amazing beginning when you get to a place like that. I know I have um, a um, a relative that um, was quite the drinker and uh, and they ended up going on a, an ayahuasca trip and mm. that kind of put them into a place where 
I've got to make a change. And so it's pretty cool when people don't have to have an, an enormous thing crash down on them yeah. and they can still be able to cognitively make a decision that uh, I want to do something different. And yeah. so how has your, um, has your life changed since then? I know you're doing some amazing work just from what we were just talking about and what I saw on your intake form that um, you've been doing to help others with this kind of process. So how did you kind of get started into that? Because you, you're working on um, getting you sober and you feeling good about life. And then you make a decision that you want to help others. How did that come about? Mm -hmm. um, I will answer that, but I do want to circle back to what you okay. just said. Um, I think that, that, that there is a myth uh, around the idea of a rock bottom. I okay. think, um, that comes out of AA, um, <laughs> which is, which is, you know, like it's great if it works for you, but for a lot of people, AA as a program just like doesn't work. And I think the idea that we have to wait until something horrendous happens in our lives before we can make things better yeah. is super problematic and false. Right. And I think a lot of people wait with that in mind. Like I haven't hit rock bottom yet. Like I haven't hit someone with my car or lost my job or been forced into rehab. And it's, it's just like, we don't have to wait for something terrible to happen before we can actually start to create change in our lives. Um, so I just wanted to address that because yeah, I think it's definitely. really important. Um, yeah. And then in terms of uh, how I got into the work that I'm doing, um, finding sobriety, um, you know, not only saved my life, but it really, really changed my life in profound ways. And it continues to be one of the most powerful decisions that I've made to date in my life. And what I think I was looking for in alcohol, I actually found in sobriety, which is freedom, confidence, my authentic self, like really building that true relationship with myself. Um, anything feels possible now in my life. And I love that. yeah, yeah. And um, so obviously it's been a, a very profound experience for me. And I have always been someone who has had an innate desire to support other people, to help other people, whatever, with their goals, find out what they're passionate about, like whatever it is. And so in getting sobriety or in getting sober, I found it really inspiring. And I wanted to when I started to share what my journey had been like, a lot of women reached out to me and they said, you know, I've also been struggling with this thing and I just don't know how to make the change. I don't know how to make it stick. And, um, and so I knew that there was a need for something beyond what existed, which at the time was mostly AA. And yeah. fortunately, you know, the sober curious movement has really grown and there are so many more options now for people in terms of support and care. Um, but I felt really inspired to get into the space and support people. And so 
I got trained as a coach, which is really, really, really important. Um, I really can't stress that enough because it's an unregulated industry. Mm-hmm. Anyone can call themselves a coach or they can do a eight hour weekend course and call yeah. themselves a coach. And, and if you are going to work with people and you are going to actually, you know, take their money in exchange for giving them tools and skills and support and accountability and creating change, you need to be able to do it. And so I got trained as a coach and that, that is how I got started doing what I'm doing, what I'm doing. Okay. Well, let's, let's back up just a little bit. I know you said that you were having such great results and you were feeling so good and you're all those confident and all those accolades that you were just saying, and that you started sharing. So where were you, where did you start sharing at? Mm. Also, I will say in the beginning, I did not feel any of those things. (laughs) (laughs) So just to be clear, it wasn't like, I put down my drink and I was immediately confident it takes time. Um, And, you know, I, um, I did not go through a program to get sober. I barely told anybody in my life. I very much was white knuckling it and just so So did did your friends and people start saying something about why are you not having a drink or anything like that? Um, Honestly, I kind of um, isolated a little bit in the beginning because it was, I was so focused on prioritizing getting sober Mm -hmm. that I was not willing to put myself in situations that would challenge that in the beginning. Um, Well, yeah. And it was what I needed. And I think, you know, if I had a different set of set of skill sets um, or more support or more accountability or community, I might've been able to navigate it differently, but I was just, I was going it alone. And so I was just like, I just need to do whatever I need to do to get through this. Um, so, and then I did gradually start to tell people in my life and what was the uh, response when, when you first started telling them, do you remember? Um, yeah, I mean, like my partner at the time <laughs> said supportive words, Mm-hmm but then did things that were not supportive. So that was challenging. For example, I remember going to this person, we're not together anymore, okay. um, <laughs> uh, going to this person crying and just after another night of heavy drinking and just being so upset and literally saying while crying, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I have to stop drinking and I have to do it now. And the response was met with, I get it. And we have tickets. This is not a fictionalized anything. We have (laughs) tickets to the cider festival next weekend. So could you just like bump it back a week? And it's like funny now, but like the desperation of that moment for me, I was like, I am going to die if I don't do something about this and to be met with, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I support you. But can we like get that started later? Cause I personally am really looking forward to the cider festival, (laughs) you know? So it's like, yeah, I support you. But really when it's like comfortable and convenient for me, which doesn't feel like support on my side. Um, So that was a mixed bag, we'll say. And um, 
Yeah. I mean, some friends were great. They were like, great, like happy that you're addressing this and happy to support you in doing whatever you need to like create this change. Um, other folks, and I, I think that this makes a lot of sense, but you know, I didn't outwardly have a lot of the, uh, we'll say symptoms that people are accustomed to when somebody is visually kind of disappearing a little bit. It's because I'm in directly. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm gone. Okay. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Now I can see. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So for example, I was doing really well in my career. I had great friendships. I had a partner. I was traveling. I was social, like things outwardly looked very fine. And, um, I didn't have any of those big markers of addiction, which I think frankly are outdated and most people don't have that markers, but those markers, but that doesn't mean there isn't still a problem. And so when I told some people, they were like, really? Like we, you know, we all kind of drink the same. And I was like, I know that we don't drink the same because when we all go home for the night, I continue drinking by myself and that's not what other people do. Or when we go out to dinner and four of my friends split a bottle of wine and I drink two to myself, we're not drinking the same. So, um, but externally everything looked good. And so, um, folks, uh, some folks were just like, oh, that's weird. Like, I didn't think it was an issue for you, Um, which actually was invalidating (laughs) of of my experience. It's happening again. Okay, here we go. I'll just shift with the (laughs) sun. You just keep morphing away. Human human sundial. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it was, you know, kind of, kind of um, a mixed, a mixed bag. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, you know, Um, And I know it's not the same thing. So don't say, don't think I'm saying what you went through is the same. Okay. I can't Um, wait to hear what you're going to say next. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been um, struggled with my weight my whole life. Right. Mm -hmm. And what would happen to me, I would start really getting, I've got to lose this weight because of whatever reason it was. And I would make the decision and I would pick out the diet and I would start the diet and it never failed. There was always somebody who would say, you know, we're here, eat it. What's it going to matter? Just go Mm -hmm. ahead and eat it. And, Mm -hmm. and then if I had another time, because I had so many failed diets that if I said I was on a diet and I couldn't eat that, they'd say, well, just go ahead and eat it anyway. You know, you, you, you've tried this before and it hasn't worked. So People, I don't know that they mean to be mean and dismissive of what you're going through. Yeah. But man, can they be dismissive, right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I generally like to assume the best in people. And so like you, you know, I didn't, I didn't interpret anybody's comments as malicious or mean spirited or anything like that. But I can say now obviously in my own experiences, but what I hear from my clients and, and what I see, like I have a private Facebook community for sober and sober curious women. And it's just like, we need to just be accepted and supported. We don't need all the side comments. We don't, you know, like nobody needs to comment when I'm telling them I'm struggling with drinking and I'm stopping right now. I don't need to then hear their interpretation of what they understand the event to be like Mm -hmm. the best thing that you can say to somebody 
I'm going to take a break from drinking. Awesome. What can I do to support you? That's uh, it. Perfect. That's it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, nobody need nobody needs your ill-informed often, right? Because chances are your friends or your family or whoever, they don't have all the information about what you've been going through. And so yeah. great. I support you. What do you need? That's it. Yeah, because we we show up in life with the filter of our lens mm -hmm. of whatever we've been through. And a lot of times we think or I would say typically a lot of people think that what you're feeling is something that they feel and mm -hmm. they kind of try to, you know, tell you what they would do and how they would do things when it's nothing the same. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm sure like some of the people that I know that have had alcohol issues, they end up having to completely change their friends. But I wonder if that happened to you. And I wonder too, because I know with some of them, it's not necessarily that they said, I can't hang out with them anymore because they drink and I don't want to drink. But mm -hmm. at some point, the people, because they weren't partaking at the same level they used to, the people stopped inviting them to go kind of thing. Yeah. Did that happen yeah. with you too? Um, I would say, you know, the, the people who I was spending time with, um, where the focal point was really alcohol and partying and that like, yeah, those people fell off because the one thing we really had in common was no longer in the picture. Right. Um, and so I think, and you know, I coach my clients on this without fail, every, every one-on-one -on -one client, every group coaching program, um, around like navigating changing relationships because one, we have normalized alcohol to the point where we no longer question why we're doing it. And so when somebody in a friend group or somebody in a dynamic changes their relationship to alcohol, everybody around them immediately gets weird about it. Like mm -hmm. they somehow feel like they're being judged or they I think sometimes the sober person, I mean, just by me being a sober person, being in certain spaces, I function almost like a mirror to people without saying or doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of people just don't want to look at their relationship with alcohol or what their practices are with it. And it's all good. They don't have to. Um but, you know, I think we will go to great lengths to protect keeping relation, uh, keeping our, our relationship to alcohol intact. And if there's anything that feels remotely threatening about that, people don't want it around. Yeah. And so sometimes that means that the sober person no longer gets the invite, which sucks, which sucks. And chances are the sober person maybe doesn't want to go hang out at the bar because that's not fun as a sober person in the ways that it once was. Yeah. Being the um, only sober person in a group of, in a crowd is just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly like my definition of fun has changed. Um, and that doesn't mean I don't have fun, right? It just looks, you just different. remember it the next day. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's interesting, right? Cause I think back on that and I'm just like, e blacking out, being super hungover the next day, saying and doing things that are very out of character for me, having to clean it up the next day, 
feeling like a bag of garbage, like that is not fun. None of that Mm -hmm. is fun. Um, So anyway, so I think, you know, for me, yeah, some relationships did change. And I also in, you know, showing up as a sober person and really working on my relationship with myself and showing up authentically, I also then attracted a whole bunch of new people into my life. And that's really awesome, you know? And they actually know me for me instead of the drunk version of me who was scared and lacked confidence and didn't feel like she belonged anywhere and like all of those things. Um, And so I think, you know, the, the bonus is that when we show up as ourselves, we attract people. And sometimes in the loss of those other relationships that like, frankly, maybe weren't the relationships you thought they were, because if alcohol is the only thing that's sticking that relationship together, it's not necessarily one of substance we'll say. Um, but in those people stepping out of the, you know, orbit of your life, it creates space for new people to come in. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, um, as you were saying that I I was thinking, of there are, I'm not, I'm not a drinker now I have, you know, especially when I was in college and everything, I would, I would drink and party and all that stuff. But, um, I I really, I, at one point I had a wine refrigerator in my kitchen and -hmm. then it got to where I was just putting bottled water in it. So I thought, why am I got this (laughs) wine refrigerator for bottled water? And I sold it. Um, so, but the, it, the thing that I find amazing is that I can go out with people, like a group of people that I don't really know or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if they're drinking, they almost act offended that I don't want to drink. And they're yeah. what, you can't drink? I said, no, it's not that I can't. I just, I don't want it. You know, I'm yeah. fine with my glass of water. I'm fine with this. This is what feels good to me. And yeah. I've really always been amazed with people feeling like it's almost like you know the 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 kid that is doing something wrong and they try to get all their friends to do the wrong thing because if somebody's going to get in trouble they all are so it almost feels like that they are trying to pull you into that because they don't like it either and they just want you to be this in the same misery as they are yeah which is just like yeah is that is that who I want to be around (laughs) yeah 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 and, and I think that that's like the other part that like we don't talk about in the process of getting sober and maybe like relationships adjusting or changing. Um, <laughs> as the person getting sober, you might find that you don't like the people in the same <laughs> ways that you once did. Yeah. So it's not always about like, I'm going to lose all my friends, but you might actually learn like, that person and I just like don't jive as well when I'm not drinking and like what does that say right Mm -hmm. um so yeah I just uh for folks like listening if if you're considering sobriety just know that like your true friends are your true friends and they are going to be with you through seasons changes transitions whatever and you will also find your people when you show up as your most authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's perfect advice. Um, And I will say, you know, a lot of times, um, and I can't speak from 
being becoming sober after having an alcohol issue, but I can talk from a lot of other spaces. Sometimes when we go through challenges and things in our lives, we almost feel like we have cracked and broken pieces of us and that, you know, we're being judged or, you know, we, we, sometimes if you've been in a position where you were like with, with drugs or with food, food was my addiction for the longest time mm-hmm. that I almost felt embarrassed, you know, about all the things that had transpired with crazy things that I did with food. Mm-hmm. But a few years ago, I, um, I ran into this stuff about Kitsumi. Have you heard of that? The Japanese art of pottery. Mm-mm. Oh, um, with the gold and the cracks. Yes, because the... they take pottery that's been cracked and then they put, um, which most people would discard, and they put gold in there and it makes it beautiful and makes it stronger. Yeah. And I love that because no matter what, whether it's a food addiction or a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, our cracks that ha- has created in us, we can actually by working on ourselves and getting happy with who we are in this new life that we have, we've inadvertently, we've gone in and filled those cracks with gold and we've made such a beautiful human mm-hmm. and we wouldn't be who we are without all those, all those cracks and pieces that are there. And yeah. um, so I always like to um, bring up that art when it comes to having overcome something because a lot of times people will say I wished all of this had never happened to me and Mm -hmm. even though that may be true if those things hadn't happened and you hadn't had those experiences you wouldn't come out in this place right now and I'm sure with you 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 definitely with all that you're doing you have embraced that kind of thing because you are helping people to heal themselves like mm-hmm. you held yourself. And I, I, I'm so in awe of all of that. And mm-hmm. so when you are working with people, you you said you have a Facebook group and then you do groups. And I think I remember you were, you're a writer. Have you, so have you written a book or what are, what have you got going on there? Um, I'm what? You're what? I don't know if I froze or you froze. Hello. There you are. Okay. Hi. <laughs> I don't know if you froze or I froze. But... I'm not sure. You froze on my side, but I don't know what it looked like on your no, side. You froze on back. my side. So it doesn't matter. Okay. But you said. I just wanted to circle back to the <laughs> okay. art piece. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I have you know, I've experienced a lot of trauma, challenges, obstacles, you know, throughout my life, like even just the small parts of my story that I've shared, right? Like that's evident. Um, But I would not change a single thing that I have gone through because it led me to here. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that and this has been my experience, is the most challenging obstacles, situations, seasons of our lives are the times when we get 
the biggest and most needed lessons, skills, when we grow the most, when we evolve the most. And, you know, all of that builds resiliency and builds confidence. And, you know, when you walk through the fire of your life, you come out stronger having been forged in that flame, you know? And so I I just, I know it's, it's challenging and it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And truthfully, I think if we didn't have any of those challenges, one, we wouldn't be who we are. We wouldn't have the confidence. We wouldn't have the resiliency and we wouldn't have the same appreciation for when things are so great. When we have those moments of joy or those pockets of happiness and it's all just part of the human experience. And so I think we, you know, culturally and socially have this obsession with like being comfortable and like the second something gets uncomfortable, we want to flee it, which is why I think so many people turn to food or to drugs, um, or gambling, sex, like whatever the thing. Um, And so if we can just embrace the idea, even that discomfort is just part of the journey and you're going to learn a lot there and then it will be over, um, that's really helpful, right? To just know that that's part of it and it's normal. And if things were easy all the time, I don't know. I think we would all just be way less interesting, way less equipped. Yeah. um, yeah. And pretty dull, frankly. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And you know, um, it is, um, Zig Ziglar that always says, you know, don't wish things were easy or wish you were better, um, to learn and to grow. And diamonds don't come out of the ground because everything yeah. was wonderful. It's all the pressure yeah. that they were put under to create exactly. that beauty. And so I'm, I remind myself of those things every time I go through some kind of stressful situation. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting polished right now and I'm doing good, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think the value comes in, we all have that stuff happen just at different degrees and different things. It's finding a place, like you said, of how is this making me grow? How am I learning? What can I make out of this to create yeah. the the diamond in the end? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you asked if I was a writer. I am right. a writer. I haven't written a book. Um, I have a blog on my website. I write for various um, different publications, but yeah, I've always enjoyed writing and I find it's a really great way to connect with people and to share parts of my story and maybe to provide inspiration along the way. Um, but it's a, it's a medium that I, that I quite enjoy. All right. So no, you're not planning on writing a book or is that in the future? I am planning on writing a book. Uh, it is not currently in the process, um, but oh, it starts here. So yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's in there. There's <laughs> yeah. a book in there. Um, I but I don't have any like timeline for it or yeah, or whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I had um, I had a guy that's a an author on my podcast a few months ago, and and he was we were talking, and you know, I've got a bunch of books in my head and I've got some that have started on notebooks and everything. So he said, Mm -hmm. the best thing to do is he said, what he did was he put a little whiteboard up. And then when some idea would come to him, he'd throw a little sticky note with that whiteboard. And then he said that way he got them out of his head and on the board. And then when he got ready to write, he said, he just took his sticky notes and he, he did his thing. So um, it's, 
um, you've got your, your stuff that you're putting out on your blog. So if you're like, I know some people take their blog and they turn it into a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's, it's there. I would say probably in the next 10 years, (laughs) maybe in the next five, but yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're a public speaker. I am. Um, I do speaking events, lots of podcasts. Um, I'm also, since we're talking about all the things, I'm also a yoga teacher. I'm also a meditation teacher. I'm also an EFT practitioner. So I've got, uh, I got a lot on the go. Yeah. Yeah. I do EFT as well. I took, um, I have, um, a health coach certification, a life coach, a transformational coach, a mastery and then once I got through with all of those, like the first one was a year long course. And then I ended up getting five hypnosis certifications because it was like, well, one wasn't enough. You know, you have yeah. to, you have to <laughs> dive around to all the different things. Um, and so um, I, it sounds like you're a little bit like me and that I love learning new things that help me to be better. And then in yeah. turn, that helps me to help other people be, be better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, you know, I integrate meditation and mindfulness-based practices in with all my clients because, you know, obviously we all know the laundry list of benefits that go along with meditation, but being able to interact with your thoughts in a different way, Mm -hmm. as you can probably imagine, is a really helpful skill to have when you're trying to get sober. And so that's absolutely, I mean, it's been a really, a tremendously helpful practice for me. So I absolutely want to pass that on to my clients. Um, Same goes for tapping. Um, I do a customized tapping session with all of my clients. I also have a bunch of uh, pre-recorded videos on various topics, just like broad, like tapping for boundaries, tapping for self-love, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you know, like once you know the tapping points and kind of have some comfort with it, you can, it's a self-administered tool. So you can use it and its applications are so broad. And so I like to really bring tapping in and integrate that into my clients' self-care and stress management, because particularly for women, stress is a huge trigger for drinking. And so just having those like helpful tools that they can use and implement and just have in their back pocket is really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, uh, I love tapping. And I remember when the first time I did it, it was like, I was just blown away mm-hmm. with, I thought, how does that work? You know, yeah. um, I'm always um, curious about why people do the things they do. And mm-hmm. when it came to doing this tapping and all this stuff, and I thought that just seems silly. I don't see how that works. Yeah, And then it did. And it was like, oh my gosh, I got to learn how to do this even better. Cause I was just, I went to a tapping summit, you know, and, um, but it was really cool. And after that, it was like, uh, yes, I, I, I need this in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I had kind of a similar, like when I first heard about tapping and it was years and years and years ago, and I was reading about it in a book and I was like, this is weird and I don't get it. And yeah. I, I closed the book and I put it on the bookcase and I didn't touch that book for years. And then tapping, there was like a, a little bit of tapping coverage in my coaching training. And so it popped back up in my life. And then I ended up hiring a coach 
and her main modality was tapping. And then I hired this other coach and her main thing was tapping too. And I was like, there's something to this. Yeah. And then I got I get the hint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get, <laughs> I got certified as a practitioner. And then like you, I'm like, I need to understand how this works. I need to understand the science behind it. And there is so much science behind it. Like it looks a bit wild, right? When you're seeing it for the first time. And it's interesting because I, I held a mini retreat yesterday mm-hmm. and it was yoga, meditation, um, mental rehearsal and a tapping session. And I was just like, everybody, this is going to look a little bananas. Um, but I can also hand you an entire book of all the different studies that tell us how effective this is on a whole range of issues and how it's more effective than a lot of traditional therapeutic modalities like cognitive behavioral therapy as an example. So it's a little woo woo, but it's science-based and I, I like that. So me too. I like something that they can show evidence of how it worked you know, yeah. uh, instead of it's just theory, you know, cause yeah. a lot of things seem just theory and, you know, and so that's why people have to be careful about who they listen to. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. And the thing that I love about what you do and what I do is I feel like, and I, you alluded to it earlier, but I kind of feel like when you hire somebody like us, that it's like, you're here and then we're standing up above and we're looking down and we can see the repetitive things that you're doing or the things that um, if you would just pivot a little bit to the left here, then you would be on the right track. And so, because we don't know what we don't know. And so Mm -hmm. it is so imperative for anybody that's trying to make a change in their life to get help because if it was easy, nobody would have a frigging problem at all. Yeah. We wouldn't have jobs. (laughs) No. And everybody in their life, there's probably not a soul alive that hasn't said that they wanted to change something. And Mm -hmm. then they make the change for a while and then it's gone and they're right back to where they were. And it was like a couple of days ago, I I was, heard somebody talking and they said that that day, I wish I could remember the date. I'll have to look it up. That date was in the history books as the day that most people give up on their new year's resolutions. Is it like January 16th or something? I don't remember what the date was, but it was that date is by then most people have given up. And I think it's because most of the time when we create resolutions, we're, we're creating something that we think we're not going to do anyway, Mm -hmm. but you know, without help to navigate the, the, the path and, get someone to hold you accountable and almost hold your hand too to say, you know, you got this, we can do this together. Let's keep trying. You know, that's why doing what you do and what I do is so imperative in the world. And, um, and I just, I just wanted to, to say that really quick because, you know, so many people think, well, I can just do this on my own and it doesn't work for long. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, I will say that I think that anybody who is interested in entering and sustaining sobriety can absolutely figure it out on their own. Period. So I do think that that's possible. Um, However, I think like what you said, 
you know, they're called blind spots for a reason. We, we don't know what's going to work. We are, and I can, and I can say this because I, I lived this, like I was trying to get sober. I was trying to figure it out. I was using my own life as a trial and error. Um, it was hard. It was frustrating. I did that for like 18 months probably. And I now look at what I do and I take not only all of my own experiences, all of my training, all of the evidence-based tools that I know are effective for most people when used properly. And I collapse that timeline. Mm -hmm. So by the time somebody finishes a group coaching program with me, which is three months, for example, they are miles ahead of where they would have been if they were staggering through over a three month period alone. Right. right. And so it's like, yeah, I think you can absolutely get there, but do you want to spend 18 months trying to get there? Do you want to spend longer. 24 months trying to get there? Do you want to spend the next five years trying to figure it out? Because I think the other part of that is like, it's really hard to sustain an effort for that long when you don't know that you're even on the right path. Yeah. And it's literally, and every time you try something and it doesn't work, and I don't want to say it's a failure because there's always a lesson, but like whenever you, whenever you bump up against like challenges and you're not having wins, that can really knock the wind out of your sails and make it harder to continue to try and to continue to go forward. And I think when you work, not, I think, I know when you work with a coach, all of that guesswork is taken out of it. Cause it's like, here's this roadmap right. and I'm literally going to walk beside you and I'm going to show you where to go next. And you don't have to hope for the best because like hope is not a strategy. It's great right. to be hopeful, but it's not a strategy. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just like all that guesswork is out of the way. I'm literally being like, and then this, and then mm -hmm. this, and then yeah, this, yeah. um, while also being like, you're amazing. You're incredible. You can do this. You can do the hard things. You're creating evidence of it every single day. Um, it, you know, it's like a night and day experience. Like when I think of what I do for my clients compared to what I struggled through on my own, it's a night and day experience. Yeah. And, and so it's just like, okay, so do you, do you want to, you can figure it out on your own truly, but do you want to spend that much time doing it? Right. And to me, um, and I know you can do things on your own, but yeah, yeah. the likelihood of it lasting for the rest of your life is small yeah. Yeah. Um, because our natural tendency is to go back to what we know, what's comfortable. And that's yeah. just nature. And yeah. so without the coach, you know, wouldn't it suck to have gone through that 18 months, not gotten a coach, not done all those things. And then you waited two years and suddenly you're right back where you started. I mean, and that's, yeah. you know, that's what happens yeah. so often that yeah. um, it's just, it's, it's preventable. And uh, so I just want to yeah. make sure that everybody knows everybody is watching and listening that it's imperative when you've got something like this going on that you get a coach to streamline it, hold your yeah. hand and to be there with you as you get to those 
those dates that most of the time after a certain amount of time, people do try to almost fall off and because that's the nature of thing. So yeah. with a coach there with you, you can actually say, wait a minute, in just a couple of days or this next week, that's when people typically have a little bit of a harder time. Let's go ahead and pump this up and let's do something different this week. Yeah. And without you doing that kind of thing for them, they wouldn't know and they would revert back. So um, yeah. I, I'm all for coaching, especially with, a, you know, something as difficult as uh, as becoming sober. And yeah. um, so I just want to make sure that everybody knows they need to reach out to you. Anybody that's having any um, qualms about um, coaching or having an issue with alcohol, sobriety, you know, how would they reach out to you? And I will be putting in the in the description your links and everything for people to to reach out. But just for the ones that yeah. are listening, tell them how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, sure. So um, my website is a great you know, first step. Um, my company is called whole and well, but it's not like what it sounds. It is H O L A N D W E L L.com. And as you said, that'll be linked. Um, I'm also pretty active on Instagram and I post a lot of helpful free content for people, including like tapping and meditation and tips and questions and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and my handle is Ms. Amy C. Willis. So M-S-A-M-Y-C-W-I-L-L-I-S. Um, and then I do also have a private Facebook group for sober and sober curious women. And uh, it's become my favorite little corner of the internet because it's, you know, everyone Everyone in that group is just so open and supportive and caring of other people in that group. And there are so many commonalities and there's just so much support. So if you're like, I'm not ready for coaching, but I am curious and I'd like to just like meet other women who are doing something similar to me, definitely check out that group. It is the whole and well sober collective on Facebook, um, which will also be linked. And yeah, those are three great. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you for sharing that. And we're um, about um, at the end of our time, but thank you so much for um, being here and sharing your amazing, your story and your feedback. And I'd really love to have you on again to dive a little bit deeper into some of the stuff that you talked about. Yeah, and, sure. Um, yeah. So um, thank you again um, for being here. And I will leave everybody with um, these words. The best way to predict the future is create it. So what are you creating? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. My pleasure.